Well, as Brother Nathan said, good evening. So we jump into Acts 2 tonight. I uh, was kind of reflecting over, I have a, a folder in my computer of, of the lessons I've put together, and we went through Acts, it was 2015, and that was the first time I got to, to preach doing these chapter studies, and I do remember uh, really being in, into the book of Acts, really enjoyed it, and we get into some of Apostle Paul's writing, and gets a little bit more technical, a little bit harder to understand, and a little bit deeper to as far as as far as study, um, the Old Testament was was interesting stuff, uh, but I, I gotta admit I was I was pretty nervous when we started looking into the Gospels. I'm like, man, I gotta get this right. These are the words of Jesus. Like, you can't mess that up. Um, but I just I'm happy to be back in in Acts. It's been uh, a long time since we went through this, and I uh, I'm looking forward to it. So tonight we've got. Chapter 2, and uh, regrettably I missed, I think it was Ian that, that did uh, chapter 1 for us. I always seem to be out of town on the one preceding mine. So won't go through much, much recap here. So we'll, we'll jump into our text. Uh, should have everything on the board here tonight. <clears throat> uh, starting with verse 1, Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Now, Pentecost has quite a bit of significance here for a few reasons, and I was really surprised at how much I did not know about it. Uh, so we're, we're going to take a minute and kind of summarize that. The Jews, as you know, observed a number of feasts, and the Pentecost was one of the big ones. The weather made travel easier this time of year, and Jews from far and wide would, would travel to Jerusalem to attend. This is an important fact to remember when we look at what's coming up in a few verses here, the speaking of tongues, there was lots of people here from various parts around the region, different countries, different, different languages that they spoke. Uh, the feast was referred to by a few different names. It was called the First Fruits, the Harvest Festival, the Feast of Weeks, and Pentecost as it is here. These last two, Feast of Weeks and Pentecost, the names come from the time that it was held. Now, there's some calendar math that goes on here, and I get a little bit confused, but um, I'll take this kind of slow. This, this festival, this feast, was 50 days after the first ordinary Sabbath after the beginning of Passover. Pentecost means 50th. Also, since 50 days were exactly seven weeks, counting the first and the last Sunday, the bookends of that, uh, this led to the name Feast of Weeks. Since time was basically clocked from the Passover, we need to touch on that as well. Passover week usually had two Sabbaths. The first full day of the feast was called the High Sabbath. And then there was the Ordinary Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the ordinary week. Um, the first Sabbath, the High Sabbath, came on various days of the week. Now, this is like any other holiday or, or calendar event that we're used to, like, um, you know, pick one or whatever. It's on a different day of the week. It could like July 4th could fall on a Thursday or a Friday or whatever. So that's the way the high Sabbath was. It would fall on a random day. And then the ordinary Sabbath was the Sabbath at, at the end of the week. <clears throat> so um, that was always on a Saturday, the ordinary Sabbath. When Jesus was crucified, the high Sabbath fell on a Friday. And when the, the Pharisees requested that they break the legs of Jesus and the two robbers, that was to speed up their death so that they didn't have the bodies on the cross. They were on the cross on Thursday, didn't, didn't want them to be 
on the Sabbath, the high Sabbath, uh, Friday. Now, it was prophesied Jesus wouldn't have his bones broken, and they did not break his legs. They pierced his side instead, recognizing that he was dead. So didn't want to like mislead and say that he got his legs broken. That's besides the point. So with Friday high Sabbath and the ordinary Sabbath always being on a Saturday, in this case, there were back-to-back Sabbaths, Friday, Saturday. Now, Matthew 28 and 1 agrees with this timeline, saying that in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, to see the grave. So it kind of marks that, that time when they came to the grave. So we know when this is occurring. Now, again, Pentecost, 50 days later, this is, this is where we're at. <clears throat> so there are actually some Jews that will mark the Pentecost from the high Sabbath and others from the ordinary Sabbath. And I won't get into the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and why, because it's a, a little bit irrelevant. But this day, this, this is the start of the 50-day count. And so where it's reckoned from is what matters. Now, Christians are in agreement with most of the Jews in that the ordinary Sabbath, it's the one that's always on a Saturday, is the right one to start counting from for the Pentecost. Um, therefore, Pentecost always fell on a Sunday. And it's no coincidence that we assemble on the first day of the week. So the events that we're reading of tonight occurred on the first day of the week. There's some importance to that because the events that occur in tonight's reading are the establishment of the church and the first thing we're doing and assembling on the first day of the week is part of that. Now, I swear I'm not trying to wear out this first verse, but there's more to dig into. (laughs) Uh, The question of who is they, where it says they were all with one accord in one place. The question of who is they is a question that's out there for probably most of you might when I read that I thought well it's the apostles and um, I believe that is the correct answer but I'm going to explain why it's a question in case you have that question the reason is context you know we take a look at the Bible the original text wasn't broken into these uh, chapters as as we read it right so we're jumping in here one sentence right after another sentence that ended in chapter one and so the context around that matters. Uh, if we go back and look at Acts 1 and 15, we find that there were about 120 disciples. So there was the apostles, and then they, there, in total there was about 120 people. I'm not clear if that was including the 11 or plus the 11, but about 120 people. And so right there in, in Acts 1 and 15, it talks about there were 120. And then a little bit later here, it says they were with one accord. So there are people who say, okay, there's 120 that are here with one accord. But there's some problems with that that we're going to get into about who's getting receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the apostles. <clears throat> and there's a little bit more context as well. Um, so we, we see from Acts 15 and 1 where it's 120 noted. But we see that they're talking about this because they're describing that of those 120, two were chosen to fill the void left by Judas. They cast lots. It fell on Matthias. He became the 12th to restore 12 apostles. In the very last verse of chapter 1, verse 26, it says the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11. The very next sentence is this sentence, and it says, and they were in one accord in one place. So the common belief is that here we're referring to those 12, including Matthias, not the 120. I know it seems weird that I'm kind of harping on that, 
but it is important in the events that follow, speaking of tongues, who was there, and uh, the sermon that was, that was given. So, also consider that Jesus told the apostles, right before he ascended, not the broader group, he told the apostles that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days after he ascends. He then told them that, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and right then he ascended. The power of the Holy Spirit that they received <clears throat> is what enabled them to build his church. And that's what we're embarking on the study of Acts. And of course, we're going to see what, what they're able to achieve with this guidance and, and, and blessing from the Lord. We all know this, and we know where that power came from, and none of us here probably think that there were 120 people that received the same gift as the 12 apostles did. All right, that's enough for verse 1, so time to move on. <clears throat> Acts 2 and 2. The Bible says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now Jesus told them to wait there in Jerusalem, and they would receive the Holy Spirit not many days after. This is what he said right before he ascended. He ascended 40 days after rising from the grave, and the Pentecost, all this calendar math we did, was 50 days from the Passover, from the Passover Sabbath. Um, doing that holy feast math, we find that they waited for 10 days from when Jesus ascended. So, you know, that's really something if you think about it. Emotional roller coaster if there ever was one. Jesus is the Christ. And then, against all that they could imagine, he's dead. And then he's risen. And he sees them. And then he tells them to wait. And he leaves again. Ascends to heaven right before their eyes. And here they are in one accord in one place. They're praying. They're being faithful. But they've got to be a little uncertain, a little confused, not knowing what to do. How long are we going to be here? When, when is this coming? What's happening? To me, 10 days in that scenario, in, in their shoes, that is terrifying. That is, that is an unbelievably long amount of time to be in, in limbo. <clears throat> and in God's due time, which I don't imagine to be in a coincidence, he pours out the Holy Spirit on them, setting their work in motion, right in the middle of this best-attended religious feast of the year, all these people from different regions, many who seek God right there at their fingertips. So these people, they hear it. or The, the apostles here, they hear this mighty wind, and they see something with their eyes. It looked like flaming tongues. It set upon them. Their speaking in tongues is a gift that is basically the opposite of what God did at Babel. At Babel, he took away their communication, and here he gave them limitless communication. But it's not of their own words. He didn't give them the ability to say whatever they wanted to anybody in, in, in a foreign language. They, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance, right there in verse 4. Uh, in other words, they spoke precisely what God wanted them to speak because he knew who was there, he knew the, the target audience, he knew what was going to, to work. And he did that through the apostles. <clears throat> now in verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. These are all these people that are there, both the, the locals and, and people visiting. They were dwelling there. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, 
Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And again, the crowds there, multinational due to Pentecost. This is God's perfect timing at work. And it says in verse 6 that when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. And I really couldn't find much clarity if they came because they heard the mighty rushing wind or that because they heard people speaking in tongues. Mighty rushing wind was probably a much louder sound. Um, things are fairly summarized and, and put kind of plainly and bluntly here. It's, pro- it's very likely that this was something just almost indescribable. Um, mighty rushing wind. Yeah, we, we live in Pampa. We know what that's about. I doubt it was is what we think. So a crowd gathers around, um, and they, they hear the speaking in tongues. And it shocked them. To, they, they immediately realized that this speech was in their various native languages. And they knew that was very special, not because people can't learn languages, but these men were Galileans, which are basically considered uncultured, just not the type of person to be well-versed in, in a foreign language. I mean, there's probably quite a bit of trash talk they could do about a Galilean, and they're, they're just, they're not with it. They're not hip. They're not with the with the culture, and there's no way that they would know and be able to speak these languages. So, again, this whole chapter is a, is a really dense summary of a lot of incredible things, um, but there's a few verses just dedicated to how surprising this was to people. So that really underscores um, this, this fact about Galileans absolutely not being well-spoken or classy or cultured. <clears throat> Verse 9, you know, they immediately recognize this is going on, and it says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all praising God and proclaiming God, and people are hearing this in something that they can understand even if they were bilingual they recognize well this is my native language how are they doing this so they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another what could this mean so they're it's making it very clear luke's making it clear here that this was really incredibly impactful for this crowd of people others mocking said they're full of new wine well this is a pretty ridiculous thing to say i have no idea what they might have actually been thinking, but for whatever reason, whoever said this, one or multiple people, they're obviously trying to discredit the miraculousness of this, this occurrence. Not going not gonna to try to weigh into what they may be thinking, who, you know, who they were, if it were some of the Pharisees trying to say this is, not, this is not something miraculous, but that's a ridiculous statement. I really don't think it's worth arguing how silly it is to say, but I mean, if you get drunk, you might think you get some magical powers of influence and turn into an eloquent speaker, but everyone else knows that you're just a slobbering, slurring drunk. In this case, all the people were hearing the words coming out of their mouths plainly in the language that they should not be able to speak. And so even if they were drunk, that's still miraculous. To me, that's the obvious argument here. It's like, well, that, that can't possibly be the result of being drunk. But instead of making that argument, Peter instead says they're not drunk, on account of it being 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, uh, it's, it's not even the third hour here. <clears throat> and I find that funny that that's his argument. But here in America, land of overachievers, a drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning is really not out of the question. 
Peter's argument is stronger than that because there it was out of the question. This is Pentecost. Nobody was drinking wine or even eating food before the third hour, which is, which is 9 a.m., because they're tending to God's business first, then food and drink. It just didn't happen. So Peter's response really has a little bit more behind it than we might think at, at first reading there. But he's just getting started with that response. He grabs their attention and rolls right into the scripture that they know. Uh, so again, mo- others mocking, say they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. <clears throat> That's a little small. Sorry, I hope you can read that. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is really weighty. Fifty days ago Jesus was crucified and it did not go down according to plan. They just witnessed Galileans speaking in tongues. And the things that occurred when Jesus died there got to be pretty fresh on their minds. Most of these people, there's a lot of visitors in town. Most of these people were local. Um, but even far and wide away from, from the cross, uh, people witnessed the darkening of the sun. And it, it, was still, it was still with them. Right? So they're starting to hear some of this, this prophecy, some of the scriptures that they know. But are they connecting the dots yet? I don't think so. Not yet. But they're starting to. There was also about a quarter million lambs slaughtered at the Pentecost feast. Blood, fire, smoke. Yeah, I've never been to such a cookout. The smells are heavy in their nostrils. They hear this word, but that's really nothing compared to the sun going dark. And then, verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that should be, he should be held by it. Now it's getting serious. Now not only is prophecy being realized, they themselves are suddenly realizing they're a part of biblical history and not in a way that anybody wants to be. <clears throat> so Peter puts forth more scripture, but I, they hadn't yet tied this to Jesus in their minds. Peter says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And here he makes clear what David was talking about. Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, 
that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. David said God wouldn't allow his Holy One to see corruptions. Jesus rose from the dead instead of decaying. All these things are coming rushing into them now. They know this scripture. David wasn't talking about himself. They know he's dead and buried. It's David whose body saw no corruption. It, it wasn't David who ascended into heaven. It was Jesus, and they crucified him. He, he continues on, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Prophecy, scripture from David, events that they saw and witnessed and, and knew of, including right then and there, that's pretty convicting. <clears throat> now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. They were blinded with rage and refused to see it while Jesus was alive. But now they see it. They knew. They knew what they did. They knew it was true. They knew that they killed the Son of God. Cut to the heart is talking about feelings of guilt, remorse, fear, and anxiety, but can words really describe how that must have felt? I mean, I always try to look at Scripture and consider how that is kind of like registering in, in the minds of those speaking or hearing the words, but I can't relate. I just I can't imagine what it would be like to, to have this realization just closing in on you. And so, you know, what else can we say but that they were cut to the heart? And... They have no idea what to do about it. But they can see the authority in Peter. They can see he and the other apostles know the answers. They, they have authority from God. And so they ask, what are we going to do about this? How do we fix this? And, yeah, that, that might be shocking that you just realized you murdered the Son of God. And then you get told, well, you can be redeemed. They can have their sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's promises to them, the murderers, pretty cool. Sign me up. That's, that's big. That's, that's going to be, that's got to be hard to take in, hard to register. But they obeyed. <clears throat> and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Can you imagine the power of the first sermon spoken by man fueled by the Holy Spirit? I probably wouldn't summarize that he testified with many other words. Like, <laughs> that's all you're going to say about it. But I think it was Ian that recently made a pretty good point about how we like to overuse words and Everything is awesome. You know, fried chicken is awesome. What are you going to say about God if, if fried chicken's awesome? 
Luke is a little bit more like Joe Friday, just the facts. And so I don't know why, but I just find it funny that we follow up a foretaste of this sermon given by Peter immediately after receiving the Holy Spirit, energized, powered by the Lord, given the words, the perfect audience. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. But that's got to be, that's got to be one of the, the greatest gospel revival events that, that ever were. Uh, and here in verse 2, we see some things that are familiar and, and dear to our hearts. Uh, the breaking of the bread that is mentioned, it may be in reference to the communion emblems that we partake in, or it may be simply enjoying meals together in fellowship, but both are examples of what the church body should be doing and doing steadfastly, just like it says that they did. But 3,000 baptisms, that sermon had to be something. I mean, not like fried chicken awesome, but, but like real awesome. <clears throat> Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, there was fear around what Jesus was doing. He was doing a lot of these, these wonderful signs and, and acts. Um, and now the apostles were given these gifts, and so we see that they're making an impact to the people around. This is, this is not, you know, minutes after. This is ongoing forward from this point. <clears throat> uh, all those who believed, they were together. They had all things in common. There's, some people will get into this and go, well, the Bible preaches socialism. We should be doing socialism or communism or, or whatever we want to call it. And we're not going to dig into that rabbit hole. Uh, Christians are giving. Communists are taking. It's, it's, it's no comparison. <clears throat> but so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house so they they still lived in their houses they they were taking care of each other and they were communing they were acting like we do being together sharing meals together they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved the events from the first of this to the results of this, to the church is no longer coming. It's here. The same church that's there is here. It's filling this room with one accord. We, we are of one mindset. We're together in this. We, we worship and believe together. We're breaking bread. Gladness and simplicity of heart. Life's not, not always glad and simple, but it's, pretty, it's a pretty simple and glad concept to know Jesus and to know that you're saved and to know that you're part of the church. And if you're not part of the church, you always have the opportunity. Tonight we're prepared to help you join this church that was established this night, 50 days after Jesus was crucified. We would offer the invitation, if, if you have a need at all, come to the front, sit at the front row as we stand and sing. <clears throat>